What are the catalysts that will ignite the 2024 crypto bull market? That's what we're covering in today's episode. Is it going to be an influx of new crypto ETFs outside of just Bitcoin? Is it the Web3 gaming meme that we always talk about? Maybe it's Deepin, or maybe it has nothing to do with these mainstream use cases. And instead, it's changes to blockchain infrastructure that's going to allow institutions and companies to start using the chain. Maybe it's one or many of these. That's what we're here to discuss in today's episode. Uh, we think it's going to be a bullish year for crypto, and we're trying to figure out what are those catalysts? What are the things that are going to onboard new users and push the prices of crypto? Higher. GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. We are here to make sense of an on-chain world in constant transformation. I'm Kyle Reedhead, your host for today's episode. And today I'm joined with our guest, Tom Dunlevy, who is the partner and chief investment officer at MV Capital. Uh, he oversees a $20 million venture capital fund uh, in the Web3 space where they have uh, invested in over 30 different Web3 projects since 2021. And get this, evaluated more than a thousand projects annually in Web3. So Tom knows a thing or two about Web3 and a potentially what's going to be the next big catalyst. He does a lot of his investing um, privately, obviously with his fund, uh, and that can be a great signal for what's going to happen in the public markets. So we talk a lot about that in this episode, especially in the beginning, just to understand what's the appetite like in the private world, where the private uh, investors are putting their capital to work. Uh, and then we kind of broaden out and look at the public markets uh, and help sort of paint a picture of what we think is going to happen this year and even do a little bit of price predictions at the end of the episode. So make sure to check that out. Okay, so before we get into the episode, I just want to do a quick poll here to understand the audience. What do you guys think is going to be the biggest catalyst here in 2024? Is it going to be DFIN reaching the mainstream? Is it going to be gaming reaching mainstream? Uh, or do you think it's something like stablecoins that gains adoption finally? Or is it just a bunch of ETFs launching that brings a lot of demand and legitimacy into the space? Please, if you're listening on Spotify, answer the poll. If you're checking it out on YouTube, then make sure to comment uh, in the comments there on YouTube as well. Let us know what your thoughts are. We want to get all the information we can from our audience that helps us all learn together. And by the way, since you're here, make sure to like, comment, share, whether it's on po on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on YouTube, that's what helps us grow and get this content in front of more people. So thanks for your help on that. Okay, let's not take any longer and get right into the episode. Tom, welcome to Web3 Academy. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, listen, let's just get right into it. I want to sort of zoom out a little bit, get your high level thinking first on either where we're at right now and maybe you're just sort of framework and like, where we're at, whether it's the cycle or this year, or whatever your sort of framework is, let's think sort of short, medium term. What are you sort of looking at in markets? And you can talk if it's macro, if it's specific to crypto, maybe there's something else you're looking at. Feel free to dive into whichever area is really fits your your framework. Yeah. So just kind of starting from the macro side, I think a lot of people had a thesis last year that we would see some sort of downturn. And there were a lot of things generally pointing to that, everything from credit conditions to us just being along in a technology cycle to tightening, et cetera. And that obviously never came to fruition. In my mind, there are a few reasons for that. It was really a lot of the excess consumer savings that we saw primarily from stimulus payments and otherwise a lot of positive immigration numbers and others that really helped a lot of the spending, which bullies at least the US economy. And we almost received that kind of soft landing on the macro side. 
Now we're seeing um, a continuation of that trend into 2024. So there may be some sort of downturn, but all indicators are pointing to the macro environment at least being okay. We sort of, it seems, are out of the woods for at least what would be a really severe protracted recession, which in my mind would hurt risk assets, presumably uh, hurt crypto uh, being a, still a very risk on asset. So at that kind of high level framework level, I think we're okay in the crypto uh, space from a macro backdrop. Looking directly at crypto specifically, the primary driver of a lot of the flows recently have obviously been ETF and otherwise sort of at a, at a high level. But you know what I find sort of more interesting are a lot of the things we're seeing in the private markets that flow into those price trends. So we do a lot of investing almost primarily in illiquid private markets. And in Q4 of this year, what you won't see in the numbers reported by a lot of the fundraising outfits is direct uh, investments in the seed stage being at sort of record levels. And you don't see that yet because these are generally lagged and reported values. So the things you see on in the normal press are deals that happened six to nine months ago. Q4 for us and the other folks that we talked to on the VC and landscape was the biggest quarter for deployment in almost two years in terms of aggregate dollar value. In terms of aggregate deals done, you're seeing other key indicators that you know we watch for and would sort of be um, pretty apparent to folks that would lead to bigger trends. It's like you know rounds are closing faster, rounds are getting marked up much quicker, and you now have to sell yourself as an investor to some of the best projects rather than like them drudging around for months trying to get capital. So all of those things to me are saying we're at the inflection point of the cycle because you know if you say these starts are getting funded now and they're eventually going to launch in the next call a quarter or two, which is what we're seeing for a lot of the token generation events. That is going to be the key area of, of time where you're going to have a lot of folks who on the retail side are able to participate and start putting capital to work. And you see that next trend and that next upcycle in the broader market. So I think we're going to see a lot of really strong projects come to market in Q1, Q2. That's going to have at least a decent macro backdrop. And then, you know, we'll have that broader crypto uptrend and mind share that I think is really important for, for retail investors to be able to see to actually allocate capital. When you say this private funding is at numbers you haven't seen, was it the last two years? Or like, are you saying we're beating numbers since past cycle as well? We're not at those numbers yet, are we? Since the previous cycle? I don't think we're at 2021 numbers yet, but we're certainly and it's jumping over a, a bit of a little benchmark, but it's not only been kind of Q4, but we're seeing it directly into Q1 too. Presumably, or a lot of you know, folks would take kind of the Christmas period off. The last week of the year was fast and furious and it just moved right into 2024. So it's not a stop right now on the private markets. We'll dive into niches in a second later in the episode, but I just want to get an idea on the private side because I think most of our listeners are not investing on the private side. Is there specific niches? Is it mainly Solana? Is it across all ecosystems? Or like, what's the market type? Like, what, what's going on in that market right now? There's a few emerging trends that you're starting to see in broader retail markets. The first one being kind of BRC and Bitcoin, either DEXs or ordinals related projects. There are dozens of projects trying to launch there. I think a lot of, and, and I would classify these as more opportunistic projects that are very hard to invest in, very much like ordinals were. There's going to be a winner there in like the Bitcoin DEX space and believe there's going to be uh, some real value in a Bitcoin DEX because it's Bitcoin itself is the largest settlement layer just by economic weight. Fantastic. Uh, but there's so many players trying to compete there. It's like everyone's trying to gain capital there. 
decentralized physical infrastructure. So that's you've probably heard of Helium or HiveMap or Demo, you know, using either physical devices that incentivize bootstrapping a network, whether that be cellular or 5G or mapping or whatever, are really, really emerging right now. So you're seeing a number of protocols that are, are really, really interesting. There's along with a number of dedicated L1s that are launching to support DPEN specifically. So Peak Network is one that is coming to market that is uh, directly supporting DPEN. And there are others that are actually forking Solana um, to do the same thing and making some, some numerous under the hood adjustments to make it more performant specifically for decentralized physical infrastructure. Those are really interesting, seeing a lot of protocols there. On the sort of counterbalancing side, a few trends that I think folks have probably heard about recently that are less interesting on the private market side is the real world asset trend. So you probably heard about like, you know, real estate on chain, treasuries on chain. A big one that was like a Q3 thing was private credit on chain. So lending where sort of banks kind of wouldn't in the middle market area in traditional markets that would net you a 10 to 15% yield. And folks are trying to bring that on chain. A lot of those projects in my mind are really bear market projects, right? Like if, why do I want to invest in treasuries on chain and take like smart contract risk and all those other things just to get like five, 6% yield, right? Similar with all those other projects. There's a lot of folks who are still trying to raise in that real world asset space, but are just like really having trouble making that product market fit because they're bear market products a lot of it in terms of what yields you can get versus diving directly into the deep end of, of kind of DeFi. Other trends really we're seeing are, are, are kind of I would call them DeFi 2.0 and kind of like cross-chain primitives. So getting more complicated on DeFi, right? There's, we've done borrow and lending. We've done like sort of perpetuals, which I would call those like a primitive kind of derivative. Now we're kind of seeing like folks trying to push the envelope. So how do we get, you know, sort of like American and European options on chain up and above like stuff like Deribit that folks use, right? Like that's the dominant player today. So how do we do that? How do we more effectively leverage like LP positions we're using on Uniswap or something like that, like more complicated kind of DeFi stuff. So a lot of primitives that are kind of trying to do that and then taking that all cross chain, right? So like someone like an Aave or a compound or something might be fantastically well thought of and have a huge amount of TVL on Ethereum, but bringing that cross chain so you can leverage a position on Solana and utilize it on Ethereum or Polkadot or whatever. So a lot of cross-chain in DeFi and sort of otherwise is going to be sort of the future we think. So number of verticals there that are kind of emerging on the private side. Interesting. And do you think that the massive amount of investment capital that you said came into the private markets in Q4, is this just a function of price go up? And because price went up in Q4 slash the end of Q3, everyone's back? Or do you think there's different reasons for it? Like, is it because the macro setup is now better and people are like, okay, we now have sort of tailwinds for the next couple of years. So time to deploy some capital back into the space. Like, what do you think was the catalyst to bring all this private capital back in? First and foremost, it's market conditions. There's been a lot of projects who are sort of waiting since last summer. See the Bitcoin having coming up. They see the ETF launch. They see the regulatory clarity. And now they understand. And it's been the same thing on the investor side. Folks are sort of, wait, we're waiting for that other shoe to drop as well. And now that they have a lot of those things, you not only get crypto native investors like myself, but you get institutions who say like, hey, okay, we've gotten some regulatory clarity from the SEC that we can actually deploy some capital in this space, which bro projects and sort of that flywheel effect. But I would also add, you've seen maturation of a lot of products that we've been building throughout the bear market. So things directly on Ethereum that make it much use, easier to use um, the chain. So 
I'm sure folks may have heard of kind of account abstraction, intent-based protocols, a lot of things that just abstract away the complicated layer that is sort of crypto today. And we're not all the way there, right? You still have to get on and use your MetaMask and approve different you know chains and transactions. And it's not very easy for grandma to use crypto still, but it's baby steps towards getting there, which I think excites not only the crypto native people and allows for that next level of sort of creativity you can build with applications, but mm. it also brings in the non-crypto natives in sort of slow baby steps. Right. I feel like we can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel for chain abstraction. Like last cycle, it was like, you, you, there was, wasn't much for it at all. Now I think whether it's investors or builders, they're like, oh, I sort of see where this is going. I see how we can abstract it all away. And so like now you can start to think of how to use cases make sense on top of that. So I definitely agree that you talked about the ETF. I assume that was what you're saying is like sort of bringing the legitimacy and how we kind of got an answer from the SEC of, of what they think of, at least of Bitcoin. So would you say that that is a big sort of second impact of the Bitcoin ETF approval? Like obviously there's the potential for more flow to come into Bitcoin, but now we have the like, the sign of approval, I guess, from the SEC. Is that sort of what you're you're saying on that? And then let's sort of dive into the ETF as well. After you answer that, how do you think that has gone so far in terms of flows or whatever else you're sort of tracking on the on the ETF side of things? Yeah. So I think the primary unlock for the ETF is regulatory clarity and a tactite stamp of approval. You know, we could talk about the flows all we want and we can dive into why that's important, but that's for first and foremost the most important thing. And it opens up a very clear legal precedent that once you have a futures-based ETF, you now, you know, the court has said they're like for like with spot ETF, you can't preclude essentially, you know, based on some nuances, sort of track record, I think is, is something they pointed to, but um, you can't really preclude the other uh, spot ETF from coming in, which is why I'm generally bullish already to get an Ethereum ETF and a Solana ETF at some point as well, because folks have uh, have looked at listing Solana uh, futures on, on the CME and others. Um, and I think given their volumes, they're, they're likely to, to have that in the next 12 to 18 months. In terms of what a spot ETF kind of brings more broadly up and about kind of regulatory clarity, it's really those flows, but we can say flows at high level and we can look at the Bloomberg guys kind of say flows in and out. You know, the first few weeks, we've had a, a number of negative sort of catalysts that folks didn't think saw coming, right? The flows out from GBTC, and we didn't really see that coming because no one knew the fees that GBTC were going to charge until kind of almost the last minute, which has been the primary driver of why flows have rotated out of there. You've had the liquidation of the FTX estate. You have liquidations of Celsius creditors. You have, you know, Mt. Gox coins that are now coming unlocked. Who knows if those are actually flowing out as well. But all of those things have all kind of happened and were set up based on the up, up left of the price for, for these liquidators to come in and realize a lot of that value. Now going forward, we're going to have a lot of flows coming directly into the new products that overhang sort of marked down and marked away to not really worry about. And a lot of the flows that we're going to see in the future have not even really materialized yet. Right? There's a very small set of some set of people who are like, oh, hey, Bitcoin ETF, let me go buy on day one or day two or day 10. It's really about the incremental flows we're going to get through the advisor community within the US. And for non-US listeners, it's really every two weeks, most people will contribute to their 401k and that is our autopilot. So you make an election and say, I want 80% S&P 500 or um, 20% bonds or whatever. Now there's going to be maybe a percent or two of Bitcoin in there. And people are, don't think about that. It just automatically goes for their paycheck. And it's passive inflows that support the market 
this is one of the primary drivers of why the equity market has been buoyed over the past 20 years or so because of the prevalence of these sort of products. So you can do that yourself today in your own 401k, depending on your provider, but getting advisors to educate their clients to sort of do this in their you know sort of personal accounts and other types of retirement accounts, it's going to take some time. You'll only meet with your advisor once or twice a year. The advisor's got to get approval to, to talk about these products even. So it's like, a, it's still a bit of a process on that end. But once that flywheel starts turning, it doesn't stop. And you're going to see billions flow in in the back half of this year into next year, which will support the Bitcoin flies price flow and essentially in the one direction because it just puts a floor underneath the asset. Right. And the other thing is like the advisors themselves need to get educated. I think one thing people don't realize around crypto Twitter, for example, is like not everyone is on crypto Twitter. And a lot of these advisors in parts of the US are not on crypto Twitter. And like they're not sitting here celebrating that these Bitcoin ETFs have been approved. And they probably don't even know the names of all nine of them. Like everyone here on crypto Twitter can rhyme off no problem. They don't know about the inflows and they're like, they're not as excited as we are. And so like Many of them still need to be educated by the people at their, you know, institutions, and then they need to go and advise their clients. And like all that, as you said, just takes time for it to sort of unfold and happen in real life. Right. And I think a lot of people just sort of miss that and just think like, oh, it's proved. Okay. Now everyone's going to go and recommend it. And it's away we go. Right. Yeah. So exactly. It's an incremental process and it's just going to take time. It's not a day one thing. And this is step one, step one of of a journey, but it's a, it's a good step. Right. So let, let's move to the ETH ETF. It sounds like, I know you think that it's probably coming, I guess, because we already have the futures ETF that's been approved. So it seems like it's a high percentage chance to come. I think the date is May 23rd would be like the equivalent to the January 10th date of uh, of the Bitcoin ETF. Is your thought then that, you know, when we had leading up to that Bitcoin ETF, we had prices just kind of skyrocket over the last couple months leading up to it. Do you think we have the same sort of thing happen with ETH or is this a different sort of environment now? It's already happened, right? So when you saw that first fake tweet from Gary Gensler, if you look at the ETH BTC ratio, ETH actually jumped above Bitcoin. Bitcoin didn't even really see a price response. And we've seen the ETH BTC ratio perform pretty well. And that's primarily because people are trying to front run the next scenario before it even happens. So right. it's somewhat likely ETH um, still has some ambiguity where it falls in jurisdiction, whether it's commodity or security, depending on what exchange. You know, I think the SEC has taken enough losses at the hand of crypto that they're probably just going to let this one go. But yeah, at this point, it's like people don't vote. You know, We like to think people vote uh, as single issue voters for crypto. But if you just speak with any politically focused person, anyone who chats with representatives and senators and others daily, like we are not even a drop in the bucket in, in terms of mind share for the electorate or for any of these politicians outside of Elizabeth Warren. So like the more Gary Gensler uses uses a very minor issue as a hobby horse, the worse it is for him. And I think he's realized this at this point. So I think, you know, there's going to be one or two things. Like he's probably either going to be out if he keeps railing on sort of this particular issue because it's not really a voting issue. Or two, it's just going to be approved because they have the precedent now and they could say we, you know, got the regulation straightened out. There's also the possibility that things that weren't sort of classified as potential securities could have a much more clear path than even Ethereum to getting a futures on the CME and then potentially a spot ETF. So like Polkadot, for example, was not declared a security. There's one of them. And I, all of these providers are just looking for incremental ways to get revenue. And they saw these billions of inflows into these products and they see all the fees that are coming off this. A natural next step is like, how do we get more of this? And like, what other assets can we list? They're going to try to list as many assets as possible. It's just like so you think we're going to have tons of crypto ETFs? Absolutely. That's what I think it's going to be. Interesting. 
in, in the next few years, you know, five to 10, all the major assets in my mind. Interesting. And so your thought is Solana is the next one? Solana, probably the next one, just given the amount of market share, the amount of price appreciation, and it has a, a track record for since, you know, now 2020 or so. Right. So the only thing with Sol at the moment is, isn't it still part of the court cases going on with Coinbase? And I'm not, I think Binance is now settled maybe, but I don't know if that is or not, but I, I'm pretty sure it's one of the tokens that are part of the, like, this is a security as far as I remember, but I don't know if that matters. Yeah. A lot of them are, yeah. but it still goes through that same channel I mentioned. I think we're going to get a futures-based ETF and then all bets are off. And then, right, true. It doesn't matter from there. Okay. Interesting. Really cool. That's the ETF side of things. Let's look at other narratives. So obviously, I mean, for most of us, we believe we're heading into another bull market, another big crypto cycle. We had a bunch of narratives in the last cycle that if you were sort of front running or ahead of those narratives, you would have done really well. And uh, I think there's obviously a bunch of new narratives that are going to come this time around. I guess you sort of touched on some of them with in terms of where the private markets are are beginning to push capital. You said D-PIN, I mean, the Bitcoin DeFi side of things, and then like DeFi 2.0, which I guess would be 3.0 because we technically had a DeFi 2.0 last cycle that kind of failed. <laughs> so are there any specific narratives or catalysts or things that you're sort of eyeing right now for, for 2024? Anything that you can already see that's, that's probably going to play out? For sure. So a few others. So privacy protocols, I think are really interesting. So one of them, privacy protocols at like the, not like Tornado Cash level, but actually at the wallet layer and additional enhancements in wallets more generally. So like if I wanted to send a transaction to you, I could just click like I'll pay 0.1% more and anonymize that transaction. For example, that technology is already here. That's coming. That's going to be built into every DEX AMM. What the legal implications are for that? Not exactly clear to me, but using a number of acronyms you're going to hear a lot about in the future. So ZK, fully homeomorphic encryption, homomorphic encryption, which is FHE, and then multi-party computation, MPC, are all really, really big uh, trends for privacy going forward. And there are a number of protocols that are going to be doing this, especially as you go kind of cross-chain and you start sending a number of transactions financial transactions more importantly and let's be real for you and me it doesn't really matter like guess if you found out i sent whatever ten thousand dollars to buy a pudgy penguin like yeah you might be able to to do something with that information or you might be able to you know get some sort of transaction or or, yeah yeah, whatever exactly but like what's more important is actually financial institutions as they come in right so the options are today like hey i could kyc or go to some kyc l2 or go to some permission chain to, to transact. But like, even more importantly, maybe I could interact with a protocol that's actually layering in ZK technology. So it says, I know the counterparty that you're doing business with, Tom, is not a known terrorist. And they've affirmed that to me. And they've provided a proof as such. And you could send an anonymized transaction to them. You don't have to know who each other are. But you've done a transaction uh, that both of you, you know, wanted to do. And you've abided by all sort of jurisdictions. So there's a number of protocols coming here uh, that I think are extremely interesting and sort of going to bring in and provide an incremental advantage over the layers of traditional finance that we have today, because you can't do that in traditional settings. So that's one that's super interesting. You know, I think we- And are you saying those are coming live? Are you saying those privacy ones are like coming live or are live like this year kind of thing? And you think that's going to be a, a catalyst for whether it's institutional adoption or whatever? Yeah, there's there's a few. So Elusive is is one that we've invested in. Full disclosure, that's coming up soon. Skuro is an L2 that's launching very similar over the next few weeks, I believe. 
and take your pick. There's probably about you know five more that are pursuing this sort of same path. Mind Network is one that's actually doing that technology directly on through CCIP to anonymize a lot of those transactions. There's a number that are coming today. Okay, cool. I mean, tokens, token extension just launched Solana and it does a lot of this as well, right? So I think it becomes even easier to do this where you can like send a transaction, you can see who you sent it to, but you can't see how much it was. And I think even that itself is a, is a massive use case. Now, I'm sure these, what you're talking about is a little bit different, but a bunch of different types of things are coming for this sort of privacy. And I think it allows, it enables a lot of businesses to do more things on chain that they otherwise could not have done, right? Yeah, that's, that's so this is a great point. So Solana launched token extensions, which one of the inherent features of that was privacy. So what I'm talking about is sort of still a step beyond that. So right now you can say like Alice sends Bob whatever X amount of USDC and that X amount is blurred out. Yeah. What these protocols allow you to do is like Jane Doe sends money to John Doe. I don't know who those two parties are and I don't know what the transaction amount is at all or the token. So like uh, okay. it's a whole nother level of uh, you know anonymization, right. which maybe you and I don't need that again, but like you know, there's certainly a number of use cases for that. For sure. Well, businesses in general, like we we pay a lot of our team members who are all around the world in crypto because some of them are in Argentina, some are in Russia, and like we actually just can't pay them with fiat. And so we have to do it on crypto. And right now it's like if anyone, no one cares, but if anyone did care and they knew our wallets and their wallets, they could see how much, you know, we're paying our employees, which is obviously not a great thing, but no, right now, nobody listening to this cares and no one knows our wallets. So like it's not a big deal. Uh, but of course, for bigger companies, this would matter if it ever get, came out there. And so these sort of privacy things are massive to adopt companies because companies probably want to use the chain. At least we do. It makes our lives a lot easier and cheaper and possible. We can't do it through fiat. And so we love it. And I'm sure others would too, but they just can't because you need this privacy. So I think it's a, bi- a big deal for sure. All right. What else did you have? You said Deepin and then I think you have some more. Yeah, for sure. Deepin, um, definitely one that that we like. A lot of things directly around so improving the tooling on chain. So there's a number of new kind of boring things that you and I wouldn't think about, but like block explorers, as well as integrating a lot of the technology that have been built over the past cycle. So a lot of the directly integrated kind of like AI related stuff to not only do research, but also to look at on-chain transactions. So and I assume most on-chain people who have who are listening right now have used Etherscan, but there's new primitives that are 10 times what Etherscan is and doing it kind of cross-chain. So you can go in there and say like, hey, and it'll show you all transactions in kind of like natural language. It'll tell you like, not wallet to wallet. It'll say like exactly whose wallet it is, what they've done, the tokens they're using. And then allows you to go in and say like, give me the top five sort of profitable traders on Uniswap and their positions over the last like 24 hours and based on their wallets. And they'll provide you like charts and data based on it. So like taking all the stuff that was like clunky and hard in the past cycle and like moving it a step forward and integrating a lot of the technology that has been developed, you know, in the web two space and bringing it on chain. So again, with that theme of like making it just more intuitive than everything has been today. So that's certainly one area we're seeing it sounds like, let me ask you another question as you can continue to yeah. think if you have more here. But so a lot of what you're talking about is more like infrastructure plays, right? Like things that the rest of us need to happen for more apps and more things to be built on top of it. Do you see this cycle? I mean, everyone always talks about what's the thing that brings onboards the next billion users or whatever. When do we have our iPhone moment, our chat GPT moment? Do we have that this cycle? And if we do, even if it's not this cycle, actually, what is the thing that finally does it? 
whether it's the sector, the specific type of use case, like what is it? Do you have a, an opinion on that? We'll go deeper on deep end because I think it's the most apparent use case in my mind. And, and why is that? Okay. Because it allows you as a user or someone who doesn't care about crypto to offer up something that you're already doing for incentives. People run on incentives. We know this. So let's just take a few examples, right? I'm already driving around in my car. How hard is it to throw a dash cam on you know my car and say, okay, I'm already running into a now. Okay, I'm already doing it. If I'm already running, and that's demo. If I'm already running my computer every day and I have all this unused hardware and storage, okay, why wouldn't I just throw it up to a network and get excess tokens for it, right? That's Arweave, that's uh, Render, that's Akash, that's Koi, which is one of our investors in that I think is doing this better than anybody. And there are other ones that provide, you know, just maybe a little bit more friction, but even more incentives on the token side. So like Helium is a great example. I can offer, I can run a node at my home, offer up sort of 5G, Wi-Fi, whatever, and, you know, earn tokens off of that. The challenge to date has been making those tokens valuable. So that's really been what this past cycle has been is like, okay, not only are we seeing the emergence of a ton of deep in protocols, but like, how do you actually make the tokens valuable so people don't just get them and sell them, right? That's really the challenge that the deep end market is facing today and still battling with through a number of like novel mechanisms, which we don't have to go too far down the rabbit hole on. But if I'm a user and I'm just like mom and dad, like it's easy for me to download an app that does one or many of these things, either on my computer or my phone, and I'm getting money. That seems like a really easy use case for me. Right. Um, I agree. And I'm super bullish. And even my only thing that I continue to think about is like most people in this world just don't care about tokens. No, they don't care about them and they don't understand them. And so it's like, I get Helium. I just did a bunch of deep dives into Helium and Demo and all these things. And it makes so much sense. And they are onboarding a lot of people already really fast. Like they're growing faster than a lot of other apps that, that are out there. I wonder if it reaches like a threshold where it's like, okay, it got all the crypto natives because these people love tokens and we get tokens and we want tokens. But how does that make it into the mainstream? Because most of those people just don't you just don't give a shit about these tokens. You know what I mean? Totally. It yeah. seems to be this thing that they need to get across. And, and I don't know that if Deepin is the thing that does that or not. It's, it's tough for me to understand. Totally agree. So I guess two points there. So one, I think eventually you're going to have to be paid in USDC and the token right. will need to be behind the scenes either through like nodes and validators will always have to stake tokens, which will create demand for these right. tokens. But people can get paid in USDC and that shouldn't affect the vertical as long as you can transition it in some level so you can abstract that away from others the other thing i would say is yes and this will probably this will pivot nicely into the next category that i kind of like is you can think of these things as kind of points right like this is like a very salient model in gaming like if i'm playing call of duty i get call of duty points i can spend them on whatever Fortnite, same thing if you just think of it that way and you can transition it very easily to dollars yourself i think that is probably sufficient if people stop doing these things directly as tokens and that happens through the passage of time. You know, time, time is linear. We think it all moves one way. Like the younger generation finds is, is used to like those sorts of systems and it becomes a lot easier for them to wrap their heads around that. But totally agree right now. It's kind of like, it's a bit tricky. And again, we're still working through those models. Once you have enough case studies too, where you're like, hey, I'm a taxi driver and I put this thing on my dashboard and I've made well, a couple hundred bucks last month. All of a sudden that starts a flywheel. You're like, oh, I'll do this thing. I don't care if it's a token or what it is, but I want, you know what I mean? Like once those case studies come out, I think it, it happens. Kind of what happened back to infinity on its last cycle. So I was arguing with the founder of like Hive Mapper on Twitter the other day because he was pissed off that people were selling the dash cams for like 5K each because 
they were saying like, I'm making whatever, $500 a day by mapping these areas. And he, he was like, so mad about this. And was like, you're, you're thinking about this, like completely the wrong way. Like you want the hype for your project. You want more people to be buying these things, just like ship faster. So anyway, um, no, I think there is the demand for it. And there's other data sets too, that you can't even capture or you could capture with today's kind of web two technologies, but you wouldn't want to. So for example, noise level data. And you could capture that directly through an app on your phone. Your phone has a million sensors you're not even aware of. Noise level data is just one of them. So why would you want to do that? You could, you know, capture that data for a restaurant, an Airbnb you're going to, and you could sell those data, that data on to providers who would want to use it in their websites or monetize it through other means. So could like Google or someone else do that? Like, yeah, but would you want to give Google or Apple, those same permissions that you would potentially give to a decentralized protocol that has governance rights and that you understand you have a very clear line of sight and set and things are happening there. So a lot of things like that, the deep end, I think are going to um, prove to be emergent in terms of uh, capabilities that we just don't get up to. Yeah. Agreed. You said that this was a perfect transition to another topic. Was it something outside of deep end or what were you thinking there? Yeah. 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 So uh, the points-based system. So uh, this is probably going to be not great, but I mean, I think everyone has been talking about gaming forever. And I was one of those people who was like, not so bearish on gaming for so long. Like I totally get there's going to be a game that eventually hits, but like as an investor, it's just so hard to figure out which one, because like even people within gaming don't know what's going to be good. And the development cycles are so long, but having been behind the scenes now, I can tell you like the AAA games have finally been built. They're finally here and they're now launching. So the first step is just getting like a really, really cool game for people to play. And then like the second step is like, how do we abstract the crypto layer away from the people who don't want to play it? And then the third step is like keeping that layer in for the crypto people who care about that stuff. So trading in game assets, leveraging the points systems or monetary token systems that are associated with these games, and then bring that sort of product to market. So there are a number that are coming to market, a lot of them actually on AVAX. So if you want to meta play on that. That's, that's probably an interesting one to look down. So Trapnel's one of them. Off the Grid by Godzilla is another one. All these are coming out in the next two, three months for recording this late January. Block Lords, another one. Studios Ether Games is another one. There's there's like five to 10 AAA quality games that are going to be coming in the next quarter with token models, with NFTs that I, I think a lot of people are going to be very surprised by after kind of like writing it off for dead. If you think about like the traditional gardener hype cycle, it's like coming up, it's like, oh, everyone loves it, loves it, loves it, and like crash. And that's like when you generally want to be investing and then it's like, okay, now we're back up again. I think we're in that kind of trough of disillusionment right before we get that next episode. Right. The meme of Web3 Games is back. I mean, I think we've all been saying it for years and years and years and it never makes it. But I, I agree. This is one of my big predictions too, is that Web3 Gaming is finally, this is its big year, but we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Question for you, for those that are listening, many of them are not doing private markets, right? They're just investing in tokens. And so when you think about this industry, we talk about, you know, there's deep in, there's gaming, there's, you know, all these different sectors that may or may not explode on chain. When you think about investing in this space, do you see it as more, let's just buy the underlying asset, like the ETH, the SOL, et cetera? Do you think it's more, you know, try to find those, the application layer? Or like, how do you sort of weigh that? And do you have like sort of a framework around that? So my core thesis is first and foremost, you don't want to miss the beta of the asset class if you're going to be exposed to it. So whatever amount that is for you and your broader portfolio of life, if you're high risk, maybe that's 50%. If you're low risk, maybe that's 5 to 10, but you can't afford that zero in terms of your allocation. Thinking about that bucket, 
you certainly don't want to miss the beta of crypto itself. So you need to have some level of exposure to Bitcoin or Ethereum. I think a lot of folks would find that level comfortable at sort of a 40 to 50% allocation of the total crypto bucket of your portfolio. And then it's a research on this based on past cycles that lasts 40% of your crypto native allocation should be like an equal weight bucket of things you believe in. For me, that that is application layer things, right? I think a lot of the value has been sort of milked out of either in layer one level. And if I think about where value will accrue long-term, it primarily is going to be either through crypto moving up as an asset class through Bitcoin or Ethereum more broadly, or value will accrue for those 50 to 100x opportunities, all those killer applications we're going to be developing, whether that's in deep in DeFi or otherwise. What, where the value will not accrue and this is exactly what we've gotten out of what too is the takers and the people who are assuming some sort of take rate in the middle between the L1 settlement layer and the application layer. So I'm extremely bearish on this huge rollout of L2s because I don't think any of them have have any sustainable mode. And if they do, they probably don't need to incentivize that, right? So that whole middleware layer, I'm generally very bearish on. So if you ask me today, like what I'd be an investor in Optimism or Arbitrum or pick your flavor of L2, the answer is going to be like, absolutely not. Because, you know, one, I think we're going to have broader level chain abstraction. So it's just going to filter the best application possible, whatever use case you're using it for, rather than some L2 in the middle. And then two, these things are abstracted by nature. And then three, they don't have any clear value utility for any other tokens in general, besides being governance tokens. So very bearish on kind of the middle stack. And then like the bottom and top. Bearish. So it's just to confirm, you're bearish on the tokens, but are you bearish on the technology or do you think L2s is the right like thing for the ecosystem of Ethereum? I think the L2 centric roadmap just fractures liquidity and there are a number of solutions that are trying to bridge that liquidity, but I think it's inherently sort of a flawed model, especially if you consider kind of the passage of time of technology and development. Having it in a single state like Solana or others are trying to pursue seems to be the right model to me, especially when you can, if you think about something like local fee markets on Solana, you can actually cordon off specific applications and um, have them be called and priced based on their usage, which is exactly what kind of an L2 is trying to do. And they're solving that on Solana, on SUI, on Aptos, the Ethereum-centric roadmap of um, dividing that across a number of L2s just doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't think the tokens really accrue value because all they do is control sequencer revenue, which in my mind and my broader thesis is that most of these fees are going to go to zero anyway. And all you're going to be paying for at the end of the day is, is, is sort of valuable accrue towards ordering transactions, which is MEV. So in that world, a L2 almost has no value, especially in a world that you believe sort of technology progresses and monolithic chains sort of end up winning. So I think Ethereum becomes a fantastic settlement layer, but it doesn't mean we need hundreds or thousands of use case specific L2s to make it that. Very interesting. Getting mixed reviews. You are bullish Ethereum or you are not bullish on Ethereum? It sounds like you're barely bearish their scaling roadmap, but it sounds like you still think it is going to be a good settlement layer. So how does that, how does that make sense? Can you try to pick that for me? Yeah. So I think eventually all of the liquidity will be bridged among L2s, which makes all of their governance tokens essentially worthless. And the Ethereum-centric roadmap as a settlement layer becomes solidified. I think we're like in between that atmosphere right now. Right now we're in this area where there's all this like liquidity sort of in these little silos. Like eventually it'll be bridged together and they'll have the 
general sentiment layer of Ethereum, which is a fantastic you know place to to eventually sell transactions. But today, it's, I, I wouldn't invest in any of the L2s. Interesting. Okay, cool. In your thread where you did sort of your predicted predictions for 2024, you did a price predictions for Bitcoin, for ETH, and you didn't do necessarily a price for Solana, but you just sort of gave your your thoughts on on where it ends up. I think it was for the end of this year, not the end of the cycle. Can you walk through your sort of thoughts around that and and kind of what you're thinking in terms of, and, if, and maybe you have something to expand upon beyond just Bitcoin and ETH, but basically looking at the markets for this year, where do you think we end up? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, my general thesis is that it's going to be a very constructive year for crypto. I kind of talked through that in the beginning. And once I think about these things still as sort of a beta off Bitcoin, so you're going to have a lot of strong inflows into Bitcoin, which the next trade is going to be Ethereum. And Ethereum is very it's very easy to explain to TradFi people. And it's one of the reasons I got into crypto in general is like you can say, hey, here's this quote unquote technology company that's earning quote unquote this revenue and here's the multiple you can assign to it and you're investing in you know, sort of the base layer of, uh, you know, the next virtual computer on the internet, blah, blah, blah. You can tell that story like pretty easily to TradFi. So I think there's a strong narrative there in terms of price appreciation for Ethereum, regardless of some of the challenges I mentioned earlier on kind of the L2 level that most people are not even going to try to delve that far, right? I do think the next next thing in which we're seeing right now is Solana and other kind of single state focused layer one. So Solana, I think, is going to have a fantastic year, not only for you know sort of the token improvements that you've mentioned, but also the huge developer mindshare uh, and narratives that are forming there, including Dpin. You know, Solana is sort of like the Dpin chain right now, and becoming even more so as as more applications are launched. So I think that's going to be obviously fantastic for price. And thinking about it very simply, you know, I think Solana is like one tenth the market cap of, of Ethereum, just the economic weed for it to compete with Ethereum is it has a lot more room to run, including getting back to some level of all-time highs, some percentage than it had previously. I do think there's some interesting opportunities too on other elements who are pursuing similar paths. Like we're seeing a lot of private market activity on Sui and Aptos, which I think is somewhat filtered into price, but still not all the way apparent for folks who are actual investors. So I think you're going to see a number of interesting applications there and folks will be naturally drawn to actually moving over to those chains and trying a lot of those things that They've only tried so far on Ethereum and, and kind of Solana. So, you know, I put a few numbers in the thread I made and, and more uh, directional targets. But you know, I think it's going to be a really big year for for crypto across the board. And if I'm trying to position personally, I, I want to be in more of the high beta stuff. And I still consider kind of Solana, Aptos, in that camp. That's at the L1 level. Of course, the application level, there are a lot of winners that it could be picked there. But I, I still think you're going to have a lot more luck trying to to, to do that in either private markets or get in on. You know, there's a lot of, if you're not a US investor, you can go on these launch pads, go on IDO uh, platforms and form a nice portfolio of fairly valued assets at sort of an equal weight portfolio that you can you can generate there. As US investors, we can't really do that, unfortunately, but um, a lot of opportunities out there as well. Sure. So sounds like bullish year, potentially all-time highs for things like Solana, maybe Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera. What would sort of break your thesis of this being a bullish year? Do you think we're reliant mainly on the macro? Or is it like crypto just needs to keep shipping, things need to happen well? Or like, if like, is there anything that would break all this? And you're like, okay, if this happened, for sure, we're nowhere near all-time highs. Like, what are your thoughts on what may, what may go against your thesis? Primarily, the things that would go against my thesis, I think, are somewhat being solved for. So that's why I'm very comfort- comfortable being fairly long crypto right now. Because number one, it would be 
regulatory. I think that's somewhat solved for. I'd be very surprised if we were going to see some sort of large bill that puts something, you know, sort of a stake in the art of crypto in the US. I think that'd be very surprising at this point. Unless Elizabeth Warren decides that that's like going to be her one thing she really wants to focus on and continue with the crypto army. You know, number two is certainly macro. Like, I think we're fooling ourselves if we experience some sort of 30 to 40% downturn that crypto is going to be up. It might be flat, but it's not going to be up. I think things are fine enough in sort of the broader macro environment, especially if we were to see some sort of issues. I think you'd see pretty swift rate cuts along with more complicated funding mechanisms like the bank term facility and other things that we've seen sort of step in. And then more broadly, I think we're fighting more against apathy than a downturn, right? Like if those two things are okay, if we just like don't see any of the innovations, find any interest or traction with retail users that we've mentioned across this, this, this whole discussion we've had here, that would be the biggest thing we're battling against is just like general apathy. Like I just don't really care enough about this crypto thing. Like keep your decentralization, keep your censorship resistance. Like I just need fun shit. And like, you know, the games weren't as fun as you said, Tom, like I don't really care about deep end or tokens. Like, you know, apathy is, I think, what we're fighting most. And that would like invalidate my thesis if people just like don't care. But I guess what keeps me happy is like, I know people care about money. I know keep, people care about making gains. And if like this is the space that still has the opportunity to do that more up and above uh, traditional markets, like there's always going to be interest. Right. The other thing that I love about crypto is there's so many sectors that in use cases that like one of them's got to hit. You're like, maybe it's not gaming. Maybe it's not deep in, but like maybe it's stable coins, right? Maybe it's real world ads. Like there's something surely that's going to hit on chain other than just like PFPs. And so like, and we just need one of them, right? So I feel like you got a lot of chances, which is kind of like the internet, right? You, there was a bunch of things that could happen on the internet. Now, a lot of them ended up happening, but you just needed one sort of to really take off and then you're kind of good to go. And so I, I feel like you're going to have something, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you're giving this new creative medium and expressive environment to a handful of the smartest people in the world. And to right. say that they're not going to paint some sort of interesting picture with it, I think is eminently naive. Whether that picture is something that we can predict is another story, but yeah. there's going to be something that is a lot more interesting and gains a lot more value than a lot of the incumbent systems. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, this is great. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today. If others that are listening want to, to follow along, where, where do they go? Where can they find you online? What should they check out? Dunleavy89 at Twitter. I'm always yelling about something or other. So yeah, find me there. And all of our associated fun stuff have some links, but yeah, always happy to chat with folks there or Telegram, same handle. Feel free to reach out. Cool. We'll put the uh, the link to Tom's Twitter in the, in the show notes so you can check that out there. Otherwise, Tom, thanks so much for joining. We really appreciate you just sort of sharing your thoughts, your thesis and, and your frameworks on, on investing in this space. So Really appreciate it. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, maybe one day we'll have you on again to, to review everything you've been discussing. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and subscribe or follow so that you don't miss the next one. While you're at it, there's a link in the description for our free newsletter where we provide timely and relevant Web3 insights so you can confidently build and invest in Web3. Make sure to subscribe today. One final note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and nothing we say is financial advice. Crypto and Web3 are risky and you should never invest more than you're willing to lose. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.